Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 18, 15 through 17. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Listen, I know it's January, but does time even matter anymore? Isn't that one of the deals we made with ourselves during this whole COVID thing? So yes, I know that it's January and technically Christmas is over, but me and my family, we are still watching Christmas movies. Sue me, okay, whatever. But our kids are old enough now, what's fun, to watch like the really, really good Christmas movies. So we've done How the Grinch Stole Christmas and Elf and Home Alone and Jingle Jangle is a new one that we really, really like. Die Hard, just kidding. I watched that one by myself. But in the midst of all of this Christmas movie watching time, I noticed something this year that I'm not sure I'd ever really taken the time to think about before. And it's something actually you see in almost every Christmas movie ever made. And here it is. It's that the children are the heroes. You notice that? In every single Christmas movie, the children are the heroes. The kid saves the Grinch. The kids believe in Santa. The kid trusts Elf first. The kid saves the store. Whatever it is, over and over and over again, it's the same. And this is true of so many stories in movies that we tell ourselves as a culture that we hardly notice it anymore, right? When you see a kid in a movie, generally they're going to be the innocent, good character. But you know, that hasn't always been the case. So when you read, say, the New Testament, and you think about the era into which that was written and the culture and the attitude and the perspective, you have to remember that at that time, children were not particularly sentimentalized as they are now. In fact, in the ancient world, children, yes, were seen as a blessing, but mostly because they were on their way to being a grown adult. To be adults, right? That's what made them valuable. That someday this child would be able to inherit property, would be able to work productively, would be able to pass on our family legacy. That's what made them valuable in society. And mostly grown-ups were kind of waiting on them to do that, to grow up before they had real intrinsic value. But something changed in the Roman Empire over time. I was reading an article about this a few weeks ago as I prepared for this message, and it was really fascinating. There's a marked difference between how children were viewed, treated, trained uh, before Christianity in the Roman Empire and after Christianity in the Roman Empire. So what happened? What changed? Well, I would humbly submit that what happened is Jesus. That's what changed. Jesus said something different about children as we just read a few moments ago in our scripture reading. How did children become heroes? Well, Jesus kind of said that they're heroes because where most of Human history uh, has said, uh, basically, looked at children and said, until you look like me, a grown-up, you have nothing or very little to contribute until that time. Jesus looked at adults and disciples and said, until you become like them, 
a child. You will never inherit. You will not receive my kingdom. Now we're in this series this January on rediscovering Jesus's kingdom this new year. And when, think about this. When Jesus preached and taught the crowds and his followers in his earthly ministry, his primary talking point was about the kingdom he was bringing that was unlike the world had ever known. It was a kingdom with a completely different view of reality and of human flourishing, a different view of right and wrong and of the good life, all of those things. And it was a new reality, right? It wasn't just an idea. Jesus was saying, by my authority, a new reality is breaking into the current one. And it's centered on Jesus, the King. The kingdom of God is a huge concept. So we're looking at specific passages in Luke to help us understand what Jesus meant by that category. What does he mean by the kingdom of God? And part of Jesus' answer is to point to children and say, if you want to understand my kingdom, you must become like them. If you want my kingdom, you must be a child. So be a child. That's what I want to talk about today. They are the heroes of the story. Okay, Peter Pan was right. Never grow up. Be a child. How do we do that? What does that mean? Okay. If you have a Bible near you, turn to Luke 18, starting in verse 15. And let's set the scene here a little bit in this story. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem with the disciples. And all along the way, he's teaching them what does it look like to follow him and to bring the kingdom that he is bringing and to be good citizens of his kingdom. And this whole middle part, in fact, of Luke is this long journey to the cross. Uh, In fact, for this whole section, Luke will remind us over and over again, on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to Jerusalem, right? Every story is pointing to Jerusalem. And not long after this story, Jesus will remind his disciples and his followers for the third time in the gospel that when he gets to Jerusalem, he goes there to die. Now, none of his followers understand that, but that's another sermon. So on the way to Jerusalem, in this big block in the middle of Luke's gospel, at some point, Jesus stops in some town to rest and to teach, as he often did. And the parents of that town, they start sending their kids to see him. Now, most of the gospel writers, interestingly, point out that children had this way of finding Jesus wherever he went, and they loved to be around him. Now, hold that thought. So picture Jesus is in a field, an open field. He's teaching. There are kids everywhere running around, and Jesus is laughing. He's loving it. And on top of that, Luke points out uniquely that children were not just bringing their their children, but their infants. That's that's the word Luke uses in verse 15, that they would bring their little itty-bitty babies to Jesus, hoping that he might touch them and, and bless them. And the disciples, meanwhile, they're watching all of this, and for whatever reason... They are not big fans. Are they jealous of the parents' time with Jesus? Maybe. The kids' time with Jesus? Maybe. Were they annoyed by the kids? That's a good guess. Were they concerned for Jesus that this was too much for him and he was too tired uh, to to do this? That's another good guess. They did show a tendency, the disciples, to try to protect Jesus and his time and his energy for him during his ministry. We don't really know exactly why, but Luke says the disciples rebuked these parents. They sent them away. They said, get out of here. 
But Jesus sees them doing this from afar, and he, he doesn't even address the disciples at first. He calls directly to the parents and says, basically, ignore them. Come to me. Bring your kids. It's fine. And then he looks at his disciples, and, and perhaps he's even at this point holding an infant, and he looks at this child, and he looks at his disciples, and he says, these children, these babies, are more ready to receive my kingdom than you are. It's like he's saying, disciples, you are too grown up. You've lost something that children get intuitively and that grown-ups lose over time. And specifically, I, I see four themes here that Jesus wants grown-ups to see and consider about children and his kingdom, okay? So first, children receive from Jesus, grown-ups project onto him. So it's, it's really interesting that Jesus talks about receiving his kingdom. So in verse 17, he says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now this is the only time, as far as I can tell, that Jesus talks about receiving the kingdom. So he's really emphasizing something here. Like th these words are unique for Jesus. I think Jesus is pointing out that children receive better than grown-ups do. Children ask genuine questions and have more trust in the answer even when it doesn't totally add up for them. Have you noticed that? Think about when a young child asks a really hard question, okay, as children often do. Something like, why do people die? Okay, that's a really tough one. And if you're a grandparent or a parent or an auntie or uncle or a friend, right, you maybe had, or an educator, you've had a child ask you one of these really tough questions that's hard to answer for an adult, let alone a child. And as a, as a responsible adult, especially when kids are really young, you, you can't give all the details to that answer. They won't understand. And at some point, you know, specifically in the church, if you're asked this question, you have to say, you know, part of that's going to be really hard for you to understand right now. But trust me when I say that God is good and that we do not need to fear death because of Jesus. Most of the time, you might get a few more questions, but most of the time the child says, oh, okay, that's, that's helpful. You try that with an adult, a skeptical adult, and it gets way harder for them to receive that kind of answer. And it's because children operate more relationally. The logic is, because you are a trustworthy adult, I will follow your direction and believe your words. Grown-ups are a little more cynical. Grown-ups, in fact, often come to Jesus with baggage, with expectations, with predetermined attitudes, predetermined beliefs. That's why some grown-ups in the Bible story just outright reject Jesus as the Messiah. They come to Jesus with the opposite logic of a child. Grown-ups often approach Jesus like this. Jesus, if you say and do the right things, the things that I agree with, that I understand, then I will trust you and follow you. See the difference? It's, it's completely reversed. That's why the Pharisees got so hung up on Jesus, even though like theologically, they were really closely aligned to him and how he understood God and the scriptures, truly. They, but here's the thing. They came to Jesus knowing, right? They know that when, when Messiah comes, he will overthrow Rome and he won't mix with sinners and he'll agree with our interpretation of Torah, 
right? And all of this preconceived stuff that they brought to their first interactions with Jesus. And when Jesus failed those expectations, which he did, then they knew he couldn't be trusted and he couldn't be the Messiah. But they were dead wrong. And the disciples are doing something similar here. They know, they know Jesus doesn't want to be around these children. He's too tired. He's too important. They're going to take away from grown-up time. And isn't it nap time? Isn't it late? Shouldn't these kids be in bed? Jesus doesn't have time for this. They project their own preferences and ideas onto Jesus and then act accordingly. They don't receive from him very well. So do you receive well from Jesus? Or, like the disciples, do we have a tendency to shape Jesus into our own image and likeness first? I think the real test here is, does the Jesus of the New Testament ever challenge you and make you uncomfortable? Or does the Jesus you worship agree with everything you already think? It's interesting to me that for these disciples who knew Jesus better than anybody, think about that. They walked with him physically for years and years. They dedicated their waking hours to following Jesus and listening to him as faithfully as anybody has ever tried. And they were continually surprised by him, challenged by him, even rebuked by him gently at times because they got him wrong so much. There were things about Jesus and his kingdom that took them years and years to receive. And when you read even the book of Acts and the letters, the church age, you realize these disciples are still wrestling with who Jesus is and the kind of kingdom that he brings. It should probably look the same for us, right? We should be continually challenged by Jesus in our attitude toward other people, in our understanding of what he's up to in the world and through his church. And if we can accept these surprising Jesus kingdom moments that the disciples encounter here, if we can accept them and receive them, this is a sign of childlikeness, receiving well. Not just projecting onto Jesus, but receiving from him and trusting him. If we're going to be a child, as Jesus commands us to do here, we must learn to receive well, okay? Second thing, children depend on Jesus and grown-ups resort to him. Okay, so children depend, grown-ups resort. I'll get to what I mean by that in a second. This theme isn't as prominent in these few verses that we're, we're focusing on here. But if you look at the immediate context, so if you, if you look at a story or two before this and a story or two after it, I think Luke wants us to draw this conclusion around dependence. Just before the children show up, Jesus tells a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee relies on his own righteousness before God, and the tax collector begs for mercy from God and depends completely on God's grace for forgiveness. Okay? Two completely opposite postures before God. One of self-support and independence, one of absolute dependence. And just after the story about children, a rich ruler will come to Jesus and will struggle to follow him and depend on him because he trusts so much in his possessions and his status to, to make him happy and fulfilled. He can't give those things up for Jesus' sake. John Stott, who is an amazing church leader and scholar, 
in his final book on discipleship before he died, he wrote that dependence was the number one characteristic of any follower of Jesus. And I think he's right. More than anything else, we must be known for our complete and utter dependence on Jesus and his kingdom to save us and nothing else. Now, if you're like me and you, you either grew up in the church or you've been a part of the church for a long time, you know, you're probably nodding along like, yeah, that's a great point. We should depend on Jesus. I, I, I hope that I do that too. And, but here's the thing, okay? Spiritual grown-ups okay, often get wrong and children get right, even if we're nodding our heads. So if you have any children in your life, as I've said, grandkids, nieces, nephews, your own kids, you know that in general, kids have very little problem asking for help. That's not always true, but it's generally true. In fact, if anything, sometimes when they're really little, they ask for help too much. It's their first response to almost any problem that they encounter. Can you help me clean my room? Can you help me make my bed? Can you help me with my homework? Can you help me ride my bike? Right? It's constant dependence. It's often, not always, but often, the first impulse of a child to ask for help and to, to depend. We also know that every human being is born with an absolute dependence on the people around them, just by necessity. This is human biology and psychology. Not only for our physical needs are we completely dependent, but our spiritual and emotional needs. We know now that we are born reaching out for mom and dad, who in a good world are reaching out to us as well. We're born in absolute dependence, absolute dependence. Just like these infants that Jesus blesses in the story and even points to. Children understand dependence intuitively. It's the only way they survive. But as we grow up, we grow in our independence, our ability to do things by ourselves. That's not a bad thing. In fact, that's a good thing. We should do that. However, over time, we fall into this trap where we begin to think that asking for help is actually a sign of weakness and not a sign of humble dependence. Until eventually, instead of asking Jesus for help as a first step to any and all of life's opportunities and challenges and problems, it becomes a final step, a desperation move, a last resort. Like, well, I've tried everything I know how to do. I guess I should pray about this now. Have you ever done that? I know I have. Or harder still, We may have no problem asking Jesus for help in our prayers or in our daily time with him or throughout our day. But when Jesus' answer is something like, hey, you need to ask help from your church or your spouse or your boss or your coworker or your child, like you need to ask someone for help, we kind of go, nah, no thanks. That's too embarrassing. That's too hard. They can't know how dependent I truly am, how human I really am because my status Right? And my reputation is built on being able to do things on my own. Jesus says, be a child. Depend on me. Ask me for help first, not last. Are we depending on Jesus in our everyday lives as a posture of life all the time? And not simply as a break, you know, break glass in case of emergency last resort option. Childlike dependence on Jesus is a critical component to receiving his kingdom and living within it. Otherwise, we will work all of our lives trying to build our little kingdom and use Jesus to get our will done. It must be dependent, childlike dependence. Next, 
Children share Jesus, and grown-ups protect Jesus. Okay, grown-ups have this tendency to protect Jesus from other people. Have you noticed that? It happens all the time when you really pay attention. So the disciples do it here. These parents start bringing their babies to Jesus, and the disciples are basically like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't just go up to Jesus. You've got to go through us first. You've got to set an appointment. You've got to fill out the paperwork. You've got to pass the background check. And then maybe, just maybe, we'll let you talk to Jesus. And let's go even further here. Some scholars, and this is, again, hard to prove, but some scholars wonder if part of why the disciples are so adamant that these parents leave Jesus alone is that they think the parents are coming to Jesus for less than pure motives. Perhaps they were motivated by a weird superstition that Jesus' touch would magically bless their children and keep them from illness and make them successful and wealthy in life and find the right spouse or whatever. This kind of attitude, this superstition, was not uncommon at this time, nor is it uncommon in our time. So perhaps, in the best possible light, the disciples are turning people away for that reason. They're like, Jesus, we're just trying to keep the weirdos away, the people who aren't approaching you reverently and rightly. Okay, that's all we're trying to do. Even if that is true, which again, we don't know that, but even if it is, Jesus still looks at them and says, I do not need your protection. Let them come to me. I will take care of them, okay? I can handle this. Grown-ups, we, st- we still do this. Sometimes, even if it's just in our heart of hearts and something we would never say out loud, aren't there certain kinds of people or certain people that we, again, we'd never say it to anybody, but we really think have no business getting near to Jesus, have no business receiving his kingdom for one reason or another. Maybe we find their lifestyle abhorrent or we find we don't, they don't have the right politics or they don't have the right behavior or even they don't have the right beliefs and theology, okay? And listen, this isn't to say that those things don't matter. They profoundly do. They do. But should that stop anyone from coming and having access to Jesus? Okay, that's the question. Should his people ever get between him and them? I think Jesus' answer here is absolutely not. Let them come to me. He says, I don't need your protection. I don't need your help. I want anybody and everybody who is interested in me to come to me. And even if it may be for the wrong reasons at first. And remember, probably nobody watching right now and no one speaking right now came to Jesus at first with perfect motives and great theology. I know I didn't. We probably still don't do that perfectly. We probably still go to Jesus for the wrong reasons, with the wrong beliefs. Jesus still loves us and promises to be with us and to help us grow. That's the point. Jesus won't let anyone stop you from coming to him. And church, we must never, never get in the way as the disciples do, because that's not what children do. At their best, they love Jesus and they invite their friends. You should come meet him. Which gets really to our last point here. Children want Jesus. Grown-ups want something from him. This is not true of all the grown-ups in the gospel stories. But so many, okay, if you reread Luke and pay attention, so many grown-ups come to Jesus 
with an agenda, with an axe to grind. They want an argument. They want to pick a fight with him. They want a dividing line about who's in and who's out. Even in our next story, this rich young ruler, this, this guy wants Jesus to tell him that there's nothing wrong with his life and he can keep doing what he's doing. He wants justification. That's the motivation for coming to Jesus. And it's okay to ask Jesus for things and to have real questions for him. Seriously, that's totally appropriate. And children are actually good at that too. They ask great questions and they ask Jesus for things. That's fine. We should be dependent on our shepherd, okay? But grown-ups, over time, that really becomes our only posture when we come to Jesus. It's like we need something from him. And so it's time to go ask more than we actually just want more of him. And I think Jesus, by pointing to children, says you must become more like them, or they just want me, not just what I can do for them. Right? Jesus, children just seem to love Jesus. You know, it means something that almost every gospel writer, except for John, felt the need to tell everybody who would read about Jesus how often children came to him. I think it stood out to them first because he pointed to them as heroes in his kingdom, but also because I, I think they had strong memories of Jesus with children. That must have stood out to them as they began to write their gospels, even years after Jesus's life on earth. They remembered. And that tells us something about Jesus because children see things often that grown-ups don't. Children love people who take them seriously, but don't take themselves too seriously. They love people who are comfortable with them and who love them and show an interest in them and aren't just tolerating them. They see through all of that stuff really quickly, that, that inauthentic fake stuff. They don't fall for that. They know when someone can relate to them and when they can't. And of course, Jesus himself had been an infant and a child and a teenager and a young adult. So he, he knew exactly what it was like to be them and they knew that. Children love fun people, they love joyful people, they love playful people. Jesus must have been all of that and more if children loved him the way the gospel writers are convinced that they do. And despite their flaws, okay, children are not perfect. I don't think that's Jesus' point. Jesus really seemed to love being around them too. Think about it. Those snot-nosed, dirty need, holding the potty in, dancing, simple, ordinary children. He loved being around them. He didn't mind the messiness. He didn't mind the questions. He didn't mind the curiosity. He didn't mind the energy. He seemed never too busy or too tired for children. Even when his disciples tried to give him a break. Hey, leave him alone. He won't take it. He says, no, 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 no. Let them come to me. And this tells us something about how Jesus looks at us, too. You know, that's another thing children do better than grown-ups often. They don't posture with Jesus. They don't. They don't get themselves together. They don't put on their Sunday best to go win Jesus' approval. They simply go to him because they love him, and they see right away that he loves them, too. Because children know, even when grown-ups tend to forget, that anybody who wants to be with Jesus can be with Jesus. Anybody who wants to be with him can be with him. If Jesus loves the little children and asks us to become like children, that means anybody can come to him. And you see this throughout the Gospels too. I mean, it, it, 
It isn't just children who have this kind of free access to Jesus. It's lepers. It's women who at that time were not considered uh, serious religious people. It's tax collectors. It's sinners. It's Gentiles. It's pagans. It's rich people. It's poor people. It's religious people. It's doubters and skeptics. In fact, when you read Luke, you get the impression that part of what Luke is trying to do is show that no kind of person, there is no kind of person that Jesus would not say to his disciples, let them come to me. There's no kind of person. No matter what society says about you, no matter what you say about you, no matter what your parents or your boss or your siblings or your friends or your enemies say about you, no matter even what the other disciples may say about you, yes, you can come to Jesus. This is why Jesus invites everyone to come to him in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. This is a very important verse for our church and a very important verse for understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what he's offering to us when he says, receive my kingdom. Just hear these words. I'm going to read this verse to you. And even if you've heard it a hundred times, I want you to, to remember that Jesus is saying them directly to you right now no matter who or what you think you are. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Only children get Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is adamant here. He says, you've got to be a child to receive my kingdom. But that is not another requirement, or it's not just that. To be a child with him is actually a part of the rest. It's a part of the gift that he offers to each of us. Nothing can stop us from coming to him. Jesus is always available. He's always here to receive us into his kingdom. So what I want to do is end our time with prayer. And I want to pray as Jesus taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer. And if you remember, the whole posture of the Lord's Prayer is children praying to, depending on a good Father. So wherever you are, let's pause and say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.